grace to you and peace from God our Heavenly Father and from our coming Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. Tonight, our sermon text is uh, three, composed of three verses from the Psalm, Psalm 24. And there it's written, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. So far, our sermon text. And let us pray. Heavenly Father, tonight we ask that you bless us through your word. Send your spirit upon us to increase our faith and set us apart and prepare us for the heavenly places by the work of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. Fellow redeeming Christ, I don't remember her name. She was maybe four years old when I met her. She had dark, curly hair and dimples and a, a white dress with little daisies on it. She had two sisters closer to my age at that time, maybe five and seven. And they had a friend along with them. It was a, a cool early summer morning. Most of the dew was gone from the grass. I often can't remember the stuff that I need to attend to in a given day, but this particular memory, for whatever reason, is one of those moments that's etched very clearly in my mind. I can look around and, and see it all right before my eyes. That little girl had picked a few muddy dandelions and some, some wild violets and they were quickly wilting. And then her mother came, and she offered up those flowers to her mom. You should have seen the look on her face. She was so happy. And her mother was positively beaming to receive such a precious thing from her daughter. Recently, there was a video going around on Facebook and in it, there was an infant who just had a cochlear implant. It's a miraculous device that allows sometimes profoundly deaf children to be able to hear. And that, that infant, you should have seen the look of surprise on her face the first time she heard her parents. It was absolute joy. And her parents were both glowing and crying at the same time. As vivid as those illustrations are, they can hardly do justice in showing what it means that the face of God shines upon us. The countenance of God shines when he looks upon us 
but not because we picked a muddy handful of flowers for him or because we've suddenly become aware of him and responded to him. God's face shines upon us because of what he's done for us, because of his anointed one, who is our Savior. Psalm 24 is an Advent psalm. The Israelites, they would sing this psalm as they waited with eager anticipation for the coming of the Messiah. And they would also sing this song as they went up to Mount Zion to worship from wherever it was that they were coming from in the land of Israel. This is called a psalm of ascent. And it was also a psalm that was used for preparing to receive the Lord who was coming. And tonight we'll use it to prepare our hearts for the coming of the Messiah, both as we think about how he came the first time as the lowly Savior, the humble one, and how he is returning again at the end of the world as the Almighty One with all his angels. Tonight we pick up with verse 3. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? It's not a question about which people among a crowd will be going up. It's a reminder to the Israelites and to us that we should be examining our hearts very carefully. The first two verses of the psalm reminded the people that they were approaching the Almighty God who was not like the made-up gods that each had a small part in running the world as far as the pagan religions were concerned. The Almighty God is the only God, the creator of heaven and earth and all that is in them. Nowadays, people like to be laid back about church. They like a laid back church that's comfortable and attractive. Nowadays, people don't really pay too much attention in preparing to come here. And many think that's a good thing. But remember what God had taught them. When Moses first met the Lord at the burning bush, God told him to take off his sandals because he was standing upon holy ground. And later when Moses was preparing to go up Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. God instructed him, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. The Israelites were well aware of God's saving gospel message about the coming Savior. So I don't think it was, I don't think it's our awareness of God's grace that makes us feel that we can be laid back in coming here. It's that we're oblivious, I think, to God's holiness and less aware of our sin 
than we ought to be. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? It's only a serious question for those who are aware that God is holy and does not allow anything wicked in his presence, that he hates wickedness and condemns it. It's only a question for those who know their own sinfulness. And the question's really not about, about which people, but about whether God will permit us into his presence without striking us down. He knows our sins. He sees our lax attitude toward taking what he says seriously. He sees us break the commandments. He knows our evil thoughts, the ones that we would never share with another person. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who among us could? Who among us is not sinful? Who among us could stand before God's piercing gaze and live? We dare not come before him ignorant of this. And yet knowing this, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Consider what the psalm says. God's the one who gave this psalm to Israel. He gave it to them to sing as they went up to worship him. Clearly, he desires that we come into his presence. Clearly, he must supply a way for us to come before him. So the next question really is, how? How shall we ascend the hill of the Lord? If you look at the Levitical law for the priests of the Old Testament, that's in Leviticus chapter 8, they could not come into God's presence without first being consecrated. God gave them a very specific ritual for this that they had to follow exactly on penalty of death. And the refrain of that chapter in Leviticus is this, as the Lord commanded Moses. Again and again it hammers home the fact that there is a specific way that we are to ascend the hill of the Lord, and that's the part that applies universally. We're not Old Testament priests descended from Aaron offering sacrifices in the tabernacle or the temple, but the principle applies. God tells us how to approach him. And it's not with a muddy fistful of dandelions and violets. In fact, there's only one way that we may come before him. The Son of God makes it clear. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. How shall we ascend the hill of the Lord? We can only ascend to worship him by way of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And he's no ritual that we have to perform. He's not a ceremony or a good work that we have to do. In fact, he has come to us. That's what the Israelites were waiting for. And that's what we are soon to celebrate at Christmas. Jesus came into the world to save sinners like you and me. He came to keep the moral law with its commandments and fulfill it perfectly. He came to do all the detailed rituals 
and to be the once and for all sacrifice to fulfill the ceremonial law. And his sacrifice was made out of love for us. He gave himself up for us all, the ransom price for sinners the world over. Remember this psalm was sung as the Israelites went to worship at the temple on the top of Mount Zion. When we ask tonight, how shall we ascend the hill of the Lord? We're really asking, how shall we prepare to meet him? What does God have to say about it? We are to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, the scriptures say. He commands us to believe, and then he gives us the gospel message of forgiveness directly so that we do believe. He says, take heart, your sins are forgiven. He says, believe on the Lord Jesus, you and your household, and you will be saved. He says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. He says, he saved us, not because of works done by us, in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. He says, well done, my good and faithful servant, he says, come all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly of heart and you will find rest for your soul. This is the work of the Lord and it brings us nothing but blessings. The psalmist says he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. How true this is. By nature, we were fearful of God, and rightly so by Christ, though. We stand before him knowing that he loves us. That's why our fistful of muddied works are so prized by him. He gave his life and the ability to do good works when he gave us our new hearts in Christ. It's as though we heard him for the very first time when he sent his spirit into our hearts to give us new life in Christ. How precious that moment was in his sight. and How exciting for us. And now whenever we manage to avoid falling to a temptation, whenever we do something for one of the least of these, his brothers, whenever we gather to pray and praise and give thanks together, whenever we hear him and believe that our sins are forgiven, that the bread and wine are his body and blood, these things are all blessings that God has given us. And yet God holds them to be our efforts. And he credits us with his goodness. This is more precious in his sight than we can imagine. 
praiseworthy and good, and his face shines upon us. When you ascend the hill of the Lord, when you come to worship him, remember this. Remember his holiness and your sinfulness. Remember his word of forgiveness and the washing of regeneration that cleansed every spot and blemish in the blood of Christ's sacrifice. Remember that you come to stand before the Holy One, forgiven and beloved. Remember, and then you will not take it for granted, but instead look forward to this precious time with him and rightly consider how to worship in spirit and truth. This is more precious than gold. And now, since the service of evening prayer, we used to call it Vespers, doesn't end with that familiar ironic benediction, let me conclude by saying, and now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace.